Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. At this point, I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 130. Uh, We're going to be continuing in our series, The Songs That We Sing, where we're looking at the different songs that we sing on Sundays and what the foundations that they rely on in Scripture are. Uh, So we started off with the Song of the Prophets, and we looked at Habakkuk and the need that we have to be able to lament when things do not go the way that we expect. Then we looked at the blessing, and last week we looked at Just As I Am. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at the song, I Will Wait For You, which mirrors Psalm 130 quite closely. Uh, Before reading, let's pray. Lord God, help us to know your ways, teach us your paths, lead us in your truth, and teach us, for you are the God of salvation. For you we wait all day long. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today's message will loosely follow these three points, Uh, the first one beginning with darkness. Um, That's the closest I can get to darkness uh, for a visual. On March 2nd, 2009, I can remember the date well because it was just a few days before my birthday, uh, I woke up to explosions and gunfire. Uh, If you haven't heard an explosion before, it's like a really abrupt thunderclap. Only this one, uh, I could could hear cars driving around and um, gunfire going off after every explosion. Uh, I was living in Western Africa in a small country called Guinea-Bissau, and we didn't really know what was happening. We, we heard later uh, there was an attack at the presidential palace. Uh, they, the president had been killed, as well as a number of military leaders. So we were in a very uncertain circumstance at that time. And something to know about Guinea-Bissau is that there's very little formal infrastructure. It's, it's a poorer nation. So there was no, little to no electricity available, even in the capital city. 
So you can imagine things were quite dark at 4.30 a.m. No street lights, no porch lights on, nothing. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. In the times where we are helpless, where do we go? What, what words from Scripture do we turn to? And I'm not talking just about those rare times where we're in like a, a foreign country and a potential dangerous situation. I'm talking about any time where we feel helpless. The time where we got a phone call we did not want to receive, a diagnosis that we're waiting for, a loneliness that we sometimes feel, or the distance that we sometimes feel from God. Uh, there's a popular expression uh, within the Christian tradition of the dark night of the soul. Uh, this is a phrase that Christians have used in the past to describe times of distance where they felt distance from God. A time of intense struggle, often accompanied with a deep grief or sadness. It's a time of languishing. In the book that I mentioned last week, Prayer in the Night, I'll mention again because I'll recommend it for those who are looking for something to read. Um, the author, Tish Harrison Warren, mentions that the dark night of the soul is particularly appropriate. It, it's caught on for a reason. Like the the gray morning of the soul just wouldn't catch on in the same way, or the foggy night of the soul, or the hard night of the soul. There's something about the dark night of the soul that captures the experience well. And that is to say, uh, there's a reason why, like in horror movies, uh, that they're usually set at night. Darkness has a way of bringing to mind the worst. If it's not fear, uh, then it's often its close relatives, grief or anxiety. In the late hours of the night, we are often reminded of our losses or our vulnerability. Whatever your fears or anxieties are, perhaps they will help you align with the person in this psalm. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. That setting of darkness um, is also the setting of the psalm. This, this is something that happens right in the beginning. Uh, the psalm begins in this space. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Uh, the first thing I want you to pay attention to in this psalm is that setting. It's, it's coming from out of the depth. Uh, to help visualize this, I drew a nice squiggly line. The ups in the line represent the times where we're feeling great. The lows could be considered the depths. And now we have the person in the psalm, and he is in the depths. He's at a low point. Um, and, and just as a note, if I were to redraw this, uh, maybe I wouldn't just have it as a little blip. It could be a, a longer time. Uh, sometimes our times in low spaces don't convenient, conveniently shape themselves as V-shaped valleys. 
But regardless, this person is stuck, and they're not able to get out on their own. They can't just get plucked out and appear on top all of a sudden. And notice in the psalm, they never actually make it to the top. If you read the psalm all the way through, they stay in there. This person can't crawl his way out. There's nothing on his own strength that will help the person. The depth in this psalm, out of the depths I cry for you, this represents a complete dependence on something outside of themselves. They will need God's help to get out. Uh, the second thing I want to note is just how individualized the beginning of the psalm is. Just note all these first-person references. It's personal. I cry out to you. Hear my voice. Listen to my cry for mercy. Um, if, if the psalms are a school that are meant to teach us how to pray, this psalm gives permission to take our own individual experiences and bring them before God. The church needs to know about this. We need to be able to use these types of words and rehearse them in times where you don't need them. So when the times come when they're needed, they're at the tip of your tongue, that you, you know that you have access to them. Uh, this is one of the reasons why we started singing the song, I Will Wait For You, uh, in the midst of the pandemic. Uh, today's song is an example of singing scripture, that the songs actually follow very closely through Psalm 130, something that we'll look at as we go forward. The song recognizes that our worship needs to include the dynamics that the psalms have in recognizing all of human emotion. Uh, to get a better sense of why the song was written, I'm going to appeal to one of the writers of the songs because they give an explanation to why they did this. They note, I Will Wait For You is based on Psalm 130, one of the great psalms of distress and longing for God's intervention in our lives. A significant number of the psalms articulate the tension of knowing that God is faithful and caring towards us, and yet we often experience a great pain in adverse circumstance that would seem to suggest the otherwise. So that the pain that we experience seems to suggest that we don't have a God who is faithful and caring towards us. And the psalm gives some language to at least address that. They continue. The cry of the psalm and of the song is a response to that tension of being willing to trust, to wait on him, to live with the pain with our eyes still fixed on him, knowing that he will never leave or forsake us. It's a powerful thing to look at God with trust and patience through the hard times we face or that we will all face at some point in our lives. And I pray that this song will be a comfort and a faith builder for those who find themselves in difficult places. So their hope in writing this song was to focus on words that Scripture guides us towards. And in this psalm, we see the trust 
that, that they're called towards is captured in this one word, wait. That we wait on God. Waiting expresses trust because it acknowledges that it's only God who can help. That, that image of the person, he's not just going to get lifted out immediately. He can't get out. They can't get out on their own. They need God's help. And they put this song to modern music because one of the goals of the song is that it, it's a song that's kind of catchy, that it stays with you, that this is a song that we can sing at church, but it's also one that we might find ourselves humming at home. This is a song that has words that are meant to go with you wherever you go. And on that note, I want to spend the remainder of the time looking at the song and how closely it follows the psalm. I want to explore how closely it matches it because sometimes we can sing songs in our church and not really know how they are instructing us in God's word. Here's a slide uh, that it's probably too small. I won't, I won't have this up for long because I don't want you to all strain your eyes. But just as a visual, on the one side I have the psalm, and on this side I have song. And you'll notice, if you could see this uh, clearly, that each line, verse of the psalm directly relates to the song if you map it out, that there's no extras in there, that the word count is almost the same, the order is the same as they work their way through it. So we're going to look just briefly through the different verses here, bigger font, so that we can all see. Uh, It begins, as we've already heard these words a few times, out of the depths I cry for you in the song is almost word for word what we find there. And then we have to turn your ears to me, let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy, to my cry for mercy. So, so far, the first verse is tracking the song quite well. Uh, Then we have the second verse of the song, and it's saying, were you to count my sinful ways? And that's found in verse three, if Lord, you kept a record of my sins. The second part, yet full forgiveness meets my gaze, again, is mirrored in the psalm. This is making commentary on what the psalm is really teaching. Now, a note on the text here, because this verse, at first glance, could seem like he's changing the subject a little bit. Like, if if we were in the depths at this point, why does he all of a sudden start talking about keeping a record of sins? Uh, What's revealed here is that being in the dark, being in the depths, is not the worst part for the psalmist. The worst part is that they're stuck and they've broken their relationship with the only one that can give help. So that the ancient person, the person um, that's writing this, is not primarily asking the question, why do bad things happen? They're asking, when we are in a hard time, who do we turn to? On, On what foundation do we have to trust anyone? 
And what the person is reminded of here is forgiveness, that that God surely will give forgiveness, Uh, something that we might almost be surprised to find in the Old Testament. Sometimes we have these caricatures of the Old Testament just being this wrathful God. Well, here we have an example, but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. Notice also, this doesn't resolve the issue of the pit. Uh, The person is still there, but it brings the assurance that the true help is with them where they are. The song gives the reminder that despite how badly we've messed up, that God is with you. And that leads to the course of the song, which is kind of the center of the psalm here, where it gives this repeated line of waiting on God. So it's three times repeated here, and the whole sense of waiting is three times in verses 5 and 6. Again, I want to point out and reflect on this for a moment. Waiting on, in the midst of our mess might not be very intuitive. This might not be the natural way of things. Uh, we're more familiar with phrases like, don't just stand there, do something. And this psalm seems to require a bit of a different posture. It almost sounds like they're saying, don't just do something, stand there. But it's not fully in that space. We don't just passively wait. The image is not just sitting down and taking a nap. It's not what it is. As we see in the psalm, there's an active watching He's not saluting. That's the closest I can get to watching. If you can draw a better watching, I'd like to see it afterwards. Um, But watching is what this person is meant to be doing. More than watchmen wait for the morning, we are to watch for God's rescue. So watching and waiting, for me, in the midst of explosions and gunfire didn't mean just like waiting in my bed, just hoping things would be okay, but it meant that I was attentive to what was happening. I packed my bags, I got ready to go. And as the dawn came, as the light came, we were able to escape just to let you know what happened. I did get out of that okay. Um, We ended up going to a small remote village for a few weeks as uh, things died down there. But it involved attentiveness, it involved doing things, it involved making sure that I was taking care of the things directly in front of me. Watching and waiting for others could mean staying on medication or being able to seek the appropriate help in the midst of your waiting. The darkness is not characterized by a resigned defeat or frantic scraping of the walls, but a hopeful and careful watch. And and our waiting is accompanied by putting our hope in God's word. Uh, 
So when reading the psalm, I can't help but think back to uh, an image from the book that was presented to Wendy. So Wendy got a book called um, At Psalm School there. And one of the pictures, this one's inspired from the words of Psalm 119, verse 105, which says, Your word is like a lamp that shows me the way. I invite you just to take a look at the image and how the image speaks clearly what we are to do. God's word is to give light in the midst of darkness. Notice that the light does not come from the people, but it's the word itself that illuminates. What equips us in our waiting and our watching is God's word and the reminder that God journeys with us in our struggles. Back to the song. I'll just cover the final two verses together here. But I want you to notice that at this part, it's no longer following the, the psalm directly. They, they add some creative interpretation here, and the psalm looks through the words of the psalm towards Jesus. So here we have completely and forever one by Christ emerging from the grave. That is the interpretation here of what full redemption actually looks like. Now, this is what the church has done from the very beginning. We don't just look at the Old Testament as a prelude for the new, but we see within the Old Testament itself a window through which we can clearly see Christ. And the song acknowledges that and goes straight towards the resurrection. It sees the words, this promise of full redemption, and it claims that as something that has been done through Christ, through his resurrection. And the final verse does the same thing. It doesn't resolve the the, the problem, again, of being in the depths, but it resolves that bigger question of do I have anything, anyone to rely on in the midst of being in the depths. The person at the end is still waiting, but what has changed is the reminder of God's presence. And throughout the song, we're reminded that Jesus' redemption does not wait for you to get out of the mess, but meets you where you are. Uh, The the song finishes here with finding healing in his sacrifice. So the invitation for you is that in the presence of Christ, we seek healing because of what Jesus has done, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can hold ourselves before the great physician with our wounds and seek that healing in the midst of our waiting. So to to summarize here, uh, Psalm 130 gives a setting of darkness, of being in the depths, and crying out from that space. And it puts it in the context of worship. It gives an example of, one example of how we can respond in the midst of challenges. Now I'd like to invite the worship team forward at this point, as we're going to sing this song in a moment. 
And I want you to recall the words of Psalm 130 and how this song enables us to take God's word and take it with us. This is meant to be one of these spaces of equipping ourselves for times of challenge. In singing the song, we're rehearsing a path and a pattern to direct ourselves that we have a reminder that God does, in fact, hear us, that God's presence is, in fact, wherever we are. But before singing, uh, let's turn to God in prayer. Dear Lord, we call out to you from many different places. We recognize our need for your mercy when we realize our attempts at solving our own problems fail when we see that we are stuck and that we don't deserve to be brought out of it, uh, may we remember you, that you are the God who forgives us, that you are the God who hears us. So we wait expectantly, like those on watch throughout the night shift. We wait and watch for your working through what might feel like darkness expectantly waiting to see what you do and how you will work in us. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.